All right, let's get into it. So, ho, 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 this is our Christmas episode. And I already feel like, you might have seen this if you follow me on Twitter at Elite underscore baseball, that I tweeted out a picture of the first new Elite gear I've gotten in six years. Not because we don't purchase new shirts, and I've been wearing the old ones for six years. It's because usually when I purchase them, they sit in a box in the academy, and I'm usually the last guy to get to the box, and it's only left with double XLs and the schmediums that Travis Kerber wears that I can't fit into at 210 pounds. So Chris Tierney, our travel team director, did a drop-off, and I am wearing new elite gear, so Merry Christmas to me. Well, it must be nice because apparently Travis, with his amazing skills at getting things done on time, didn't get my order into Chris Tierney quick enough, so I am going to be without elite gear this Christmas. Oh, man. Well, you know they have this thing that's called email, and when you <laughs> hit the send button, it, it go, it's almost instant, man. So I, I know you're still out there in Northwest yeah. Indiana doing the smoke signals and carrier pigeons to send your messages, but... Literally, literally couldn't be any easier to get it done. They even have this Couldn't stuff be any easier right to get now. it done. You can send emails from your phone. It's bizarre. They call them smartphones. Wait. You can send emails from your phone? It's amazing. It's amazing. But what I want to start with today... I'll figure it out at some point. It's a, a two, two sections of today's show. First is going to be a Christmas wish list of things that I would like to see under my tree this year. And then we're going to go into some nostalgia of... Uh, some favorite baseball memories around Christmas or presents. So, uh, and we'll, not to exclude anybody, we'll call it the holiday season because here uh, in, in Chicago, we celebrate a lot of different things around the holidays. So the first one that I have, Travis, and we're, we're going to get into just a little bit of mechanics and cage work right now. And I, I know you'll appreciate this one and have a lot to say about it. I want more barrels for Christmas. I want more barrels. And that means the emphasis on the quality of contact. And I think going down at the professional level, the majority of players in almost all have adequate bat speed. And surprisingly, most big league players are lumped into a very small deviation of bat speed in either way. There's outliers, of course, like guys like Trout that just swing the bat ridiculously fast. But an adequate enough bat speed to produce exit velos on quality contact 100 to 105 miles per hour, if not more. And we will see this, Travis, oftentimes in our academy. And I've, I've actually had this conversation with a big league player over the course of the last week, and he has average bat speed at best. And we kind of joked around on the hit tracks one day, and he says, how come I see these high school guys posting on, like, Twitter? They're hitting balls on the hit tracks 105, and when I'm in BP, I'm hitting it, like, 95. Um, and I said that you wouldn't, you'd be surprised how many high school players actually have bat speeds greater than some of the professional players that come in. The difference being is the quality and of contact and barrel accuracy. And so we were talking about swing efficiency with this same major league player. And he said, well, how can I squeeze out just a little bit more bat speed? And I said, well, your time to contact is good. It's adequate. And your efficiency is really good. So in reality, other than just swinging harder, to me, I don't want to sacrifice your quality of contact and your bat-to-ball skills, which are really good, 
for the ability to have a chance of hitting one out of eight balls five miles an hour harder. What do you got on that, Travis? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the thing is like the show the showcase era for forever now has told these kids that the one most important thing is hit the ball harder because we're going to post a higher number and it's going to look like you have better baseball skills simply because you can hit one ball harder. And realistically, I think, you know, the, the more you dive into it, the accuracy of your barrel, like actually squaring the ball up, is more dependent or will rely more upon what your actual exit speed is going to be. Like you can have a slower swing speed, but be more accurate on the barrel and create more exit speed than if you swing harder and miss hit a ball thinking you're going to get it. So that's one of the conversations I have with a lot of my kids. And part of that becomes like, Hey, you're either, you're either trying to catch the barrel or you're already convinced you're going to make a mistake. Knowing what I mean by that is like, you already know you're going to miss hit the ball. So you're just going to swing faster so that your miss hit looks better because that's what ends up happening a lot is we've got a lot of people that are just swinging really hard in a general direction in the chance that they can square one ball up versus having the mindset of squaring the ball up and then figuring out how to go faster once they can square the ball up. But it's the whole, for us, it's the whole chicken or the egg, right? It's do we chase bat speed early and then teach people how to have barrel control or do we have barrel control and then how to speed it up? Yeah, I think the I think for each player it's a little bit different. But, well, but I think for every I think for every player it's a little bit different because when you're talking young kids, like when you're in the cage with a young kid every day, you're also looking and saying this player can't physically do what they need to do to be consistent yet. Meaning they're not strong enough, they're not stable enough, they're not proprioceptively aware enough to be able to control their balance to be able to control the swing so I think there's a lot that goes into it I think for younger kids sometimes it's some younger kids the importance needs to go into just learning how to be a better athlete which sometimes is just learning how to move faster and then you get to a certain point where like you said your bat speed is good enough that you need to almost in your mind stop chasing bat speed or exit speed and simply chase barrels because there's a certain point the same thing like with pitchers like you know, not to change off of hitters to pitchers, but you you get so many pitchers that I would even see in our facility or on a daily basis that you look and go, hey, man, like this person's 96 to 99, and you can't get a job. And the reason they can't get a job is because not because the velo isn't there, it's because the accuracy of their pitch isn't there. So organizations are going to do the same thing and say, listen, we can't trust this guy in the mound, even though we can throw a ball really hard. Even though this person is physically gifted to throw a ball harder than most people on this planet can, this person can't get out. So it's the same thing from that standpoint. You know, everybody's chasing the showcase number because that's what they think is important right now. Because that's what for them, but it's also what what, what we have kind of put into. It's not like it's not like it's not like sixteen-year-old kids have invented the showcase and rankings and showcase tournaments and all that kind of stuff. Like that's us. That's a, as adults, as the people that, you know, make the decisions, the college coaches, the 
professional coaches, like that's kind of what we've put into their mind is, well, you got to do this at a certain speed to be able to make the next point. But the, but the problem is like a lot of these kids are not even physically ready to do it. That's like saying, Hey man, you're 14. Like I really, like I really want you to be president next year. Like educationally, maturity wise, everything else wise, like you're not going to be able to do that just because it seems like, Hey, that's a good idea. Just like this kid that's trying to hit a, trying to hit a ball and he has a hard time tying his shoes and walking isn't going to be able to do everything that Mike Trout can do. What Mike Trout can do, like a teenager can't do yet. They're just not physically the same. So the I think there's a lot test off the tee isn't a good test. I mean, for how many swings that for how many people's swings that I have to oh. talk to them and help them understand that that is not a game swing is is literally every every day. It's every day. So with that in mind, I think the emphasis for me to catch more barrels has been chasing something else. And it's a metric we can objectively test. And that's the distance the barrel stays in the zone. So the direction of the swing. So I I think a lot of people going to your chicken and egg analogy, which I think was very good. The people that are chasing more bat speed are also creating this vicious snowball. See how I tie that in right there on a holiday show snowball this vicious snowball of I'm going to swing harder to chase more bat speed. And what are they sacrificing more and more of? They're sacrificing their direction and distance in the zone. So now, yes, I'm swinging harder, but my margin for error goes down even more. So I know the emphasis with the guys I've been working with is, and they've done a great job of is is really creating a path that gives them more leeway on either side of timing, because this will segue into my, my next Christmas wish list is the Twitter is, as you know, become a, like we need to take a fire hose to it for Christmas and put out the dumpster fire that, that is hitting Twitter. Um, and a lot of it is the, it seems off to be my a, lawn. Seems what's that? The get off my lawn. So that seems to be a theme. Yeah. Um, and part of that is some people don't like the way the game is being played today. And I, I understand that from a fan's viewpoint or even a baseball purist, the game is always evolving. It's always evolving. It's always going to evolve. But in my opinion, hitting has never been harder because pitching has never been um, dirtier, nastier. Like pitch tunneling and the amount of velocity that's coming out of that and pitch design uh, in terms of what we can do in pitching and hitting labs, we're still from the hitting standpoint, catching up to pitching and pitching right now is further ahead in that lab standpoint than hitting because really, they, you know, they're in control of the ball to start. The pitch design has, is really advanced right now and we're still reactionary in what we're doing a reaction reaction to that pitch. So where I'm going with this is organizations, however, are, becoming and not this is correct throughout baseball we're in another evolution cycle of our game the game always ebbs and flows and what people in front offices are being less tolerant of is strikeouts and so I think you're going to find that what organizations are looking for from a draft scenario are looking for guys that yeah we want to hit a ball hard because the slugging metric is still going to be valued because it's really hard to string a lot of hits together and then hitting off these pitchers. So slug is still going to be valued, but slug with reduced swing and miss and the ability to go back and have that barrel accuracy, to have more leeway on the other side of time and to have the barrel that stays in the zone. It gives you a greater chance um, to put that ball in play. 
what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on the well, state of the game right to now? That, to that point, like, I think a lot of people understand also as they're chasing one thing, which a lot of times is speed is that the faster you go, the harder it is to be accurate. So once you start trying to move faster, the barrel, the hands, everything wants to move away from the body faster as well. So the control of the barrel, when we speed up is innately going to be more difficult to control. So there are a lot of people um, that actually hit the ball harder when they slow down because they have better barrel control. So again, if you, I, I always use the analogy on this one, like just a simple piece of paper glass on a table. If I pull that piece of paper slow, the glass comes with the piece of paper on the table. If I pull the piece of paper fast, the glass stays there. And in reality, if there was no table, the glass on the paper, if I pull it fast, just falls. So again, if, if the body, if the body is that piece of paper and the hands, or even if you want to think the bat is the glass, if I rotate faster, the hands don't want to initially come with me or stay close to what is the center of my body. So we've, we've got this position where everybody's trying to turn faster, but turning faster will take away barrel accuracy without complete control of the body. Now, how many people can completely control their body that well, infinitely amount of different postures, at infinitely amount of different pitch possibilities, and not lose, not lose control of the hands, the barrel, however you want to think about it. So I think for a long time, like, you know, when you think about the state of the game, I think it's gotten to now, like you see these pictures to your point, like I use Josh Hader, you know, being from Wisconsin, I watch a lot of Brewers games, even though I love every team. You watch a guy like that and you're like, hey man, if, if you're game planning for a guy like that, you know you're not gonna probably get two hits in an inning off that guy. Even statistically from every inning he's thrown, you're not gonna get two hits on that guy. Not only that, you're facing that guy in a situation where you're probably down one to three runs. So if you're going up there and saying, listen man, like let's, let's sit up there and just get one, get one hit here, then maybe another guy can get a hit. And then if we get a third hit, then we get one run off this guy. Or you're saying, listen, man, even if we get one hit, this guy's going to strike out the next three guys anyways. So you're sending up hitters, you know, with the thought of like, you're, you're going to have to get one here. You're going to have to poke one ball. You're going to have to hope you get lucky. You're going to have to hope you get that pitch and hit one out of the park. Because reality wise, that is probably the best bet to beat a guy like that. And there's several, there's, there's tons of obviously pitchers like that. Like, that their stuff is so good and they've repeatedly not allowed guys to catch consistent barrels that you're feeling like we have to have more power to get that one shot to beat this guy versus get two to three hits. Now, if you put me up against one of these pitchers and there's no chance I can hit any of them anyways, but if you put me up against one of these pitchers, there is no chance I'm going to try to take my daddy hack. I am not going to go up there and take a hack like I'm going to try to hit one 450 feet because I know I am not going to be able to catch the barrel in that situation. I might put my hands in front of me, in front of my chest, and just poke at the ball and hope that I hit a ball over the second baseman's head. 
because in reality, that's the only way I would be able to succeed at that level is to just make contact and hope it's enough contact to get a hit. But I don't think that there's enough players that are committed to just barrel strike versus I have to do damage in the situation because that's the only thing that is going to help us. Because if you don't have every player either A going, hey, I want my exit speed here to be 80, but I'm going to be really accurate and get balls just enough to get them over the infield. Because if I miss hit the ball at 80, there's no chance I'm getting a hit. Because big league defenders are also incredibly good. Yes, they're, they're, they're covering distances and their arm strength once they get that ball to throw you out is also completely different than what, it, than what it was 20 years ago. And it's going to keep changing that way because if you're not fast enough to have that first step to cover those, you know, two steps dive from a knee 94 across the infield, somebody else will be. And eventually that's the way it keeps going. It's like pitching's going to keep throwing faster. And the guys that are throwing faster are going to keep figuring out how to throw more strikes and have better secondary. And those guys are going to become the 92-mile-an-hour pitchers now. They're yeah. going to be 95-mile-an-hour pitchers in the future. Everybody everybody will be. Because the other guys are going to weed themselves out. And there's going to be a bunch of guys that throw hard that aren't going to be good pitchers. And they're not going to make it. If you think that guys if – you, if you had an extra – 10% of people that can uh, in the in the minor leagues that can throw 95 and above now. 2% of them are going to figure out how to be a really good pitcher at 95 miles an hour. Just like you're going to get a, you're going to get a bunch of guys that even though it's we're in a weird phase of this now because remember everything is cyclical. It's going to go up and down. Everything will. But what's going to happen is you're going to find that there's going to be a lot more guys like Mike Trout in the next 10 years than there are guys that aren't like that in the big leagues because it's going to be survival of the fittest. You are going to have to be able to swing faster and you're going to have to be able to control it and you're going to have to be able to get to dirty, dirty pitches while doing it or you're just not going to survive. But right now we're in that middle phase. It was like the whole tech phase, right? When we went through the tech phase, it was like tech, 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 tech. Like what do we have? What can we learn? What do we know? Let's learn something new. Let's find something new. And there's points where you almost went, went too far with tech. And it went away from like the real feel of the game and real coaching. And then it became like, hey, we need a blend. We need to have tech, but we need to have like the real feel of baseball with that tech and the real understanding of players and, and emotions and feelings. But it's still going to like the, the tech is still necessary. And it's, it's going to be the same thing with barrels and bat speed and everything else. Like there's going to be the, the ebb and flow of like right now, there's not a lot of barrels, but we got a lot of barrel speed. And yeah. eventually it's going to be like, well, we got a lot of barrel speed and a lot of barrels, so now pitchers got to do something else crazier to offset that. So, yeah, I got a couple of notes. Evan Flo just just uh, wrote down that I think we'll have good insight for here, Travis. One, you know, the the plethora of arm injuries can be directly correlated to the amount of velocity that's in the game today. Like the the human body can only withstand so much torque, and you know that uh, that race car that's going at 125 miles an hour needs a lot more maintenance than my old Toyota Prius. Right. Um, but I think back to, and this is how fast, as you're saying, like the Mike Trouts of the world are, are going to be more and more into the game. And I'm not saying the, the, the production, but the athletic level as we go forward, when you think of like 1998, 2000, and I remember Billy Wagner up there chucking 98 to hundred and thinking, 
how does anybody hit that? And there just wasn't that many. And they would come along periodically, 100 mile an hour arms in the game. In, in 1998 or 2000, would we ever thought 20 years from now, in the year 2020, we would have, man, your six inning guys, 98 to 100, right? In the specialization. So my next question, are guys like Chapman, where, again, he was an outlier, throwing balls occasionally 105 miles an hour, is that going to be the next landmark? I mean, are we going to have a dozen to 20 guys in the game throwing 105 in 10 years, Travis? Honestly, yes. I Again, you're going to get to the fact that, like, people are going to be upset. They're like, well, what do you mean? Like, you know, we're chasing this velocity and guys can't – guys don't pitch as well. But here's the thing. Like, Chapman – could be a huge outlier to begin with. Like you didn't have guys throwing over a hundred that could control the strike zone that had good secondary pitches that were effective. Like Chapman was, and I mean, realistically still is, you know, that kind of guy. And what's going to happen is if if you could take a guy, let's say Kyle Hendricks, we're just going to use a guy like Kyle Hendricks. If you take Kyle Hendricks and say, Kyle Hendricks should have the same movement, the same control, the same baseball acumen, like being a very intelligent human being and knowing how to pitch. And I could take that, all those things, and he would also throw 96. People are going to take that at 96 versus 90. Now, is it hard to get all those things into one package? Yes. So that's why you, when you look at a guy like Garrett Cole, right? When you get a guy that's a big physical human being that throws hard, but also pitches well, it's why he gets paid the way he gets paid. Because it is very hard at this point yet to have a guy that throws really hard that is an incredible pitcher. You get guys that throw really hard that can at least throw strikes and then get outs. And sometimes they're not great pitchers yet. But as we keep evolving, that is what it's going to be. It's going to be people are going to throw – Every pitcher is going to be 95 to 97, and they're going to be Kyle Hendricks. They're going to be Greg Maddox. They're going to be guys that can control that because the other guys that can't simply won't make it because other guys can do it. And that was the difference. In baseball at first, when you didn't have a lot of guys that could throw 100, the guys that would throw 100 would have an easier route to the big leagues because people couldn't do what that person could. Now, that person might not have been a superstar. Of guys being able to do that, yeah. Right. Right. Now, that pitcher might not have been a superstar, might not have been an all-star, but they were going to get that shot because if they could throw the ball anywhere near the strike zone and hitters weren't used to seeing that on a daily basis, that is exceedingly hard to manage. But it keeps changing. So even if you look at it, every year – as we keep going from here on out, you're going to see the velocities are going to stay the same, if not continue to increase, but you're going to see the command of that fastball. And then the quality of their secondary is only going to keep getting better because that is literally what evolution is. It's true. Evolution is if you can't, if you can't do something, somebody else will find a way to do it. The people that can throw harder, you're just going to have more and more that, are going to also be able to have that package of man is what you're saying. Well, not only that, but you like, you know, having this be our Christmas episode, like the wish list, like, you know, one simple thing could be like, man, for Christmas, I wish 
I could go back and have, you know, the specialization or the knowledge that I have now, like, you know, growing up, if I threw harder than my friends, I was like, man, I'm a good thrower. And then you'd leave your little podunk town. Like I'm in Northern Wisconsin right now visiting family. If I leave my little podunk town throwing harder than everybody else here, as soon as I go somewhere else with a bigger population, I'm like right back to middle of the totem pole. Like I'm right back in the middle of what velocity is. And then you get there and go, oh my gosh, I didn't know there was so many guys that threw hard because I'm from this small little sector. I'm not from the bigger population. The difference is now with these kids is they get to see what everybody on the planet does because of social media, because of the way they can connect with things. Everybody knows like, hey man, there's an eighth grader out there right now throwing 95. So every eighth grader is like, well, I don't throw 95 yet. So I got to figure out how to throw 95. Well, that is also a big part of the injury is that a lot of these people, their body is not even close to being ready to throw 95. Yet they're trying to push it to 95, but it's not ready for that. Just like a lot of these kids aren't ready to have 75 mile an hour bat speed because they physically can't control it. But all they're doing is trying to get to 75. I got to get to 75 mile an hour bat speed. If I get to 100 mile an hour exit, then I'm winning. But their body isn't even prepared to manage it. So they can't hang, they can't hold posture. They can't control the barrel because they're not physically ready to do it. And the problem is once they get to that speed, they have a hard time learning how to back off of that speed because they think that's what they're supposed to do. So I'm going to give you some mechanics on, on how to do that. It's something that we've been training and talking about for a good few years now. Um, and I'm going to give you a little physics involved in this as well. You're, you're chasing that turn speed for a hitter. And we know if we turn faster, that then we have a chance of creating more bat speed. And what you're saying is when I'm turning faster, the increased likelihood of me losing barrel accuracy and barrel control is also there. But... Angular velocity, which is turn speed, is turned into linear velocity of the bat. The ball-bat collision, the only thing the ball knows is the mass of the bat and the linear velocity of that bat that strikes it. So we have to turn that turn speed into something usable, turning angular velocity into linear velocity. And how we do that are the deceleration patterns of the body. So where I'm going with this from a training standpoint is we're always working on accelerating all the time. And we were chasing that exactly what you said. I want to swing faster. Therefore I got to turn faster. And the same would hold true for a pitcher. So that becomes more violent, but what we haven't done in baseball, um, and this is one of the things that we both kicked each other for at one point, like, why were we not doing this 15 years ago? Cause we, we were, we understood it. I don't think we explained it the same way we do today, but there was no excuse for us not to be training this. You have to learn how to quickly put on the brakes, slow and stop segments of the body to create faster linear velocity. And we will see players that don't even turn as fast. You get them on a K vest and their angular velocity isn't as, as good. We thought initially like, well, if I'm turning faster, it means I should be swinging faster. It's not always the case. You'll get guys with, you know, 2,500 uh, angular velocity degrees per second and the spectrum of bat speeds of the linear velocity of the bat speed that comes out of that is really all over the board. It'll be from 65 to 
75, if not 80. And that's the efficiency of how quickly I can stabilize and slow down. And there's a number of ways that we can train that, but a lot of it is like learning how to stabilize either a faster motion or a heavier object and get the body to, to learn how to use the brakes and create a couple things. One, yeah, more bat speed you can create that way, but also better direction. My brakes are better and I can create better direction and I can stay on a path longer. Um, and we spend a lot of time training that. And that, that's one of the things I think uh, Twitter has, the, the people who don't understand that, like will shun you for like, what the hell are you doing with these PVC pipes and trying to swing an object that's light really, really fast and stopping it really, really quickly. And how does that factor into swinging at all? It's like a hell of a lot. It gets you to swing faster because I'm stabilizing my body and slowing it down, but also keeping better direction. And the body doesn't know whether you have a 75 cent PVC pipe or the latest $400 Easton in your hand. It just remembers the way you move. Yeah, I, I think, you know, with that, I think one of the things that I've also like lately been spending a lot of time with is getting people to understand the timing of it. Because being able to decelerate is incredibly important to transition. But the timing of that when you're moving at a, at a really fast speed is equally important. So I've seen now like, you know, even with my students and, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, the error of the teacher when you see them moving the way you want them to move, but they're not quite being able to do what they're trying to do. Meaning like I've got, you know, a bunch of kids that have these incredibly high, let's say rotational acceleration swings. Like they're very connected. They can stay connected for a really long time, but they don't know when to decelerate and let that, let that energy segment into the back. So you get some guys that aren't disconnected. So they're not coming out of the zone because they were disconnected and they're trying to recover from being disconnected, which would be a rollover, right? I'm getting guys that are coming out of the zone because they're not disconnecting. Yeah. They're not you're holding connection. Getting decelerated. Let, getting, yes. They're not getting, they're not decelerating to then let the, the wrist unhinge and the barrel get the ball on time. So they're not actually accelerating the barrel. So again, you're getting guys, I've got some guys that turn really fast, but I'm like, you're not understanding. We're turning this way to then transition at some point to this barrel. Like you have to know when this barrel needs to be able to release, which is the deceleration and the unhinging of the wrist. That's the body moving. And then eventually the last segment is going to be the wrist unhinging the barrel to deliver the, the speed transition to the barrel on time in the right direction. That Which is the same in his own thing. When you can decelerate like so, that, I mean, time, your bat is really on a predetermined path by when you decelerated. And you could, like, the barrel is, you've done 100%. the work. Like, you can manipulate that barrel, and the, and the really, really good guys with good bat to ball skills can. But that's, you know, that's the whole mind piece of this, the brain piece of predicting where contact is going to be. But if you decelerate on time, that barrel is on a predetermined path, which is why so much of this goes back to the way you start that allows all those pieces to fall in line. So that last piece of it is better and more accurate. Yeah, that's a good point. I was gonna say to your point though, that's another great reason for like a heavy bat because the heavy bat is going to make you very aware of where that barrel speed is coming because it's heavier. And if you have a heavier and longer bat, it's farther away from your center of mass. It makes you really aware of like, when are we releasing this barrel? 
Because if you don't, it's going to feel like that barrel's pulling you. So, yep. you know, finding things, but other people are like, why are you using these big heavy bats? Like, that's not what you're going to use in a game. And again, it just goes back to like, we need people to understand what they need to be able to feel in a game without having to explain it to them 85 times. And if you can give somebody an implement that helps feed that, it's easier to give them a heavier bat or a PVC to have them feel something. So yeah, I like that. We stole that from a conversation I periodically have with Monty Lee. He's the head coach at Clemson, really good hitting guy. And he was just, we were sharing some drills. I was picking his brain when I, when I took the, the pro job because I think college guys are really good about building systems. And that's like, okay, I'm going to build this system. I'm going to talk to some guys that have what I built or that have built successful systems. And he, showed me that 40-40 bat that, that we ended up purchasing. I had Birdman bats make some of the 37-inch, the 40-ounce bats. Um, because if you have a push pattern, you can't accelerate that thing. It feels like you're swinging a sledgehammer. And if you have length and you're losing the barrel, it feels like you're dragging a, a ball and chain behind you. So that, that's, a, that's a really good point. Okay, my, my next Christmas wish list and, you know, I'm, I'm an old school baseball guy. Like, I, I am very astute of the history of the game, as are you, Travis. We read, I know, actually, one of your Christmas gifts to me, I think three or four years ago, was this book right here called Batting by F.C. Lane. See it here. That was written yeah. in, look, this is a hitting book written in 1925. It was 1924. Yeah, 1925. Oh, so I was off by very, very much baseball <laughs> purists, but we also are of uh, the Darwinism of baseball that we know the game is changing and we'll leave you behind if you don't keep up with it. But my next one, it's going to make some people mad, but give me the universal DH. Give me the universal DH for Christmas. Number one, baseball is in a, in a place right now where they want to attract fans. Um, and you know, offense is a big part of that. That's why baseball grew in such popularity during the steroid era. Um, the you nobody wants to see the pitcher hit, man. Nobody wants to see it. That's the, I don't want to see this dude bunt or strike out. And I love the double switch. Don't get me wrong. I love that part of it, but I think it gets a, a more exciting bat into the game as well as gets us another offensive player. I, I don't know if the roster number will change with that, but potentially you're getting another player on the roster or extending some of your favorite players careers that, would be limited to a job in the American League as they, they age. What are your feelings on that universal DH? Man, I couldn't agree more. And again, like, I know there's going to be backlash. Like, because even when I talk to people about this, it's always like, I grew up, you grew up with like the strategy of the game, the hit and run, the, the bunt them over, the hit behind the runner, the, you know, the strategy of the game was how we grew up. And I think there's obviously always going to be need for strategy in the game because the only people that are going to disagree with this are going to say it takes out the strategy of the game. Like when to pull the pitcher? Well, should we pull the pitcher? Cause we have to DH for them now. You know, in my mind, the issue is going to become this, whether we like it or not, kids don't have boredom anymore. Meaning they have a phone, they have something in their hand every minute of the day. So they're never bored. They always have access to information or whatever they want. And when you look at the game, the game at some point, whether we like it or not, has to reflect that. The game has to reflect that people don't want the strategy and boredom of the game. Whether us older baseball, like I would still love, I loved watching baseball growing up. I still like it now. 
But reality wise is we're going to lose a big part of the younger generation that has never had to deal with boredom. Like we would go outside because we were bored and figure out something to do. But now like if you're holding an iPad or a phone, you're never bored because you can always do something, connect with somebody, play a game here, do this, do that. You're never bored. There's never a, let's go figure out a new game. Like I'm going to take this stick and carve it into a whatever. And I'm going to hit something with that. Like nobody's going to do that anymore. You're not going to do that because they're not bored. So what happens is the, with strategy for, for whether you like this opinion or not with strategy, the game gets boring to the younger population. They want to see dudes throw a hundred. They want to see guys hitting balls through people's gloves or over fences. They want to see entertainment because if it's boring, they're going to turn it off. They don't want to see a pitcher go up there and square around a bunt. And that doesn't mean there's not some younger kids that would still enjoy seeing that. But the problem is the majority don't and it will change just like, the sports that are coming around now, like what are, the, what are the sports that are growing faster than any other sports? MMA, boxing, fighting, because that stuff is in and out and over. It's dudes throwing punches and anybody can get knocked down and this thing is over, tapped out immediately. So people's brains are like sick. We can watch this fight. Oh, it's over. Another fight. Ooh, oh, ooh, ooh, oh. Now that one's over. Where when you have a sport that is a longer process, like baseball, baseball is a long process game. It's nine innings requiring 27 outs on each side. Well, sometimes on each side. But it's requiring a longer pace of play that if it's not like baseball is doing, trying to speed it up, is going to lose a lot of viewership in the next 10 to 15 years. It's going to. I don't want it to because baseball is literally the only thing I've ever poured so much into besides like family and kids that I don't want baseball to change. I don't want it to go away. I don't want it to feel completely different to me, but I'm also realistic enough to understand that the world changes and kids needs change. And if the game doesn't change with these kids, we might as well just all invest in esports right now because it will go that route. So to your point, I would love if we could not ever see a pitcher step up to the plate again. Like, let, let there be a DH, let there be more offense, let there be more things happening, or the ability. If you still want to bunch your DH, then bunch your DH. Fine. Don't change the game that way. But I don't need to see a pitcher bunt. Then just put up somebody else that's better at bunting. Let the pitcher just be really good at pitching. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That was, a whole, that, was a, that was a whole blizzard of information. That was good. That that's exactly where I wanted to go with that. I, that's, I, I'm complete agreement. Unless you have like yeah, Carlos Zambrano or Fernando Valenzuela who could actually rake as pitchers. And there's guys that do that from time to time. I'd still rather see Edgar Martinez than Zambrano. We're going to have more two-way guys like Brooks Kieschnick. Remember Brooks Kieschnick? Just name drop that guy. Brooks how, how often is Brooks Kieschnick coming up in podcasts these days? Right there, huh? Universal Probably DH. not very often. Yeah, coming coming to me. My last one is a personal one, and I'll, I'll let you share any that you have as well, Travis. Is um, personal growth like what? What is the new year going to bring for us from a personal standpoint, and how are we going to better ourselves? I always look back to, um, you know, we've cut several hitting DVDs over time, or you know, we've reshot our our TV site twice now. 
and we reshoot it because we go back. We're like, you know, I would say this differently now than I did then. And it's, I would say it's not that you're wrong. It's that you're continuing your, your education and you're, you're getting better. Like if we don't grow and that's one of the things that scares the hell out of me as a person and a coach, if we don't grow, somebody's going to pass us up. And I had this question asked to me one time in a kind of pseudo interview with a pro team is like, who do you want to be and what do you want to do? And, I, and my answer to that was like, I didn't have any aspirations of a game plan master strategy of being a professional baseball coach. Like, you know, you go with what opportunities in front of you. But I, what I did say is I, I want to be the best in the world at what I do. Now, is that ambitious? Absolutely. But if you're not trying to be the best in the world at what you do, why are you doing it? What is your intent, right? Am I the best in the world at what I do? No, but that's my aspiration. And we, we look back at what we've done for the five years, like, oh man, I, I could do that better now, or I do do that better now. And you don't know what you're going to do better next, because again, there's not a grand master strategy or plan. It's just from working. So what, what do you think it is? Like, we're going to look back in two years on this podcast and we're talking about D cell and we're talking about barrel accuracy and we're talking about distance in the zone and better direction. How are we going to better that in the next two years, Travis, or even in just 2021? You know, not Venus. If I knew the answer, I'd already be doing it now. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be talking about, but I can tell you this, here's what I will tell you. And I'm going to give a little shout out to some of the people in our business when I show up to our facility, our interns are at our facility probably 14, 15 hours a day. Like they are there just because they want to be in this industry and learn more. And every day I show up, every day, every single day I show up, like, hey man, what do you got on this? I got a question about this. Hey, I've been looking at this. Here's what I was thinking. Hey, have you checked this out yet? What does this correlate with? Have you, and every time that that happens, I know we are in great hands because you're getting the next generation that's saying, listen, what, what else is out there that maybe we don't know yet? And I know that they're going to push me to continue to keep learning because they're asking me questions. And sometimes they're asking me questions. I'm like, I, like we got a, we got an update on our force plate and it gives us, slightly different readings now or in a different category. And I'm like, you know, I haven't since, since we've been shut down from COVID and coming back from that yet, I haven't had the chance to kind of go through every single thing that's been changed in how we track stuff on the force plate even. And they have, and I'm like, well, what do you got? And I'm like, go look at some stuff and figure some stuff out, put together some numbers, tell me what you found out. I'm going to come in, I'll check it out too. So to your question, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to be talking about in two years from now or a year from now or six months from now. It's, but I know that it's going to be, I know it's going to be great because I know that the, the system that you've built for us in particular is now really, really, really finally coming to fruition where we have a bunch of people under us that are just like us. Yeah. And uh, I'm not saying by us like that we're the end all be all because Lord knows I don't, I don't know everything, but we're getting a lot of people that are really inquisitive and they want to know, and they're willing to put in hours and they're willing to put in time 
and they're creative in their thinking. So I know wherever we are in two years, I know we're going to get there and I know we're going to get there quickly because we have a really good group of people with us to help us. Yeah, I went in there yesterday between calls uh, in my bunker office here and a 19 year old kid that works for us. that was a former player out of our travel program. Absolutely blew me away with, he goes, Hey, Justin, you have a, a second. It's like, actually, I, I just have a couple minutes because I got to run back and get, hop on this call again. And he goes, well, I just want to, I want to check real quick what you have on the balance and correlation between center of pressure and X axis timing, which are basically how well you can hold your load in your back leg and how, swiftly and efficiently seamlessly can you transfer that energy against your firm front leg and i wasn't ready for that i was like i've been giving this kid lessons since he was seven years old i've never heard him speak like this before and it's like travis we we've been doing that thing for four years three three or four years that kid is ahead of where we were in the time that we did that in like, that's what our backgrounds are in. Like I, I have a master's in this. You've been alongside me for 15 years and they're just a, a really, really intelligent person and pick us up. So it, we weren't at that point when we were first starting to do that. And it, part of it was, a, it was a blank canvas. We didn't know what we didn't know. We were the first ones really looking at it because we were the first ones that had this type of technology. Uh, but yeah, that, that was really amazing. And that's kind of my organizational philosophy from a business standpoint is I've, I don't want to be, a leader at the top of this pyramid and push information down. And I think a lot of baseball facilities and our or, and or organizations are structured that way. If we're truly going to be good, that diamond, and it has a lot of people at the bottom of it that are just starting off, but it has to funnel information, questions, and energy to the top, and it has to work in both directions. When you have that, when it doesn't matter where, where you lie on that, that pyramid in terms of status or years, but you have access to everybody that works its way up to the top, then you're gonna promote better ideas a lot quicker. That's always been my philosophy and why I feel like I've continued to grow is like having you and having Dan Cannon who you know, runs a lot of our tech pieces and, and guys are just really inquisitive because they're going to come up with questions that you don't know the answer to and having thought about the question itself. And that's how you get better in my opinion. So I, I, th I agree. I think that's how we're going to continue to grow. And that's for a professional organization. I'm, I'm trying to do the exact same staffing um, idea of constant flow of information and ideas. So I got, I got something for you here and I'll, I'd love to hear what you got. So sitting around for this episode thinking like, all right, we've got the Christmas episode. First, I want to start with, I want to know what is the best baseball or baseball related gift that you got as a kid for Christmas growing up? I, well, I thought about that because um, my mom, my influence originally on the game. So she was just baseball crazy, was a really good softball player. And that's really who I spent my time training and playing baseball with. So you remember the old East Bay catalog? Like when that baseball edition came out for that thing, it was like, that wasn't a catalog. It was a magazine. That was like, I'm so excited for that East Bay. And so I usually would get like a bat for the next year or something, but that wasn't my favorite gift. I appreciated it. And I always was excited for what that next baseball gift was going to be. 
You'll, you'll like this one too. My favorite baseball gift was in 88 or 1989. I got a 1984 Donruss Mint Don Mattingly. Huge, man. It was wrapped in a great big um, kind of a, a fool me box that was that you normally get like a sweatshirt or clothes in, you know, like those big rectangular boxes. And I was always trying to shake the presents and trying to figure out what's in them. And I'm shaking this one and it, it was really light and it, it was moving from side to side in the box kind of loudly. And I was like, this isn't closed, mom. And I was trying to figure out what it is. And I was like, it's gotta be a watch is what I was thinking. And when I opened that up and I was a big baseball card collector and it was a mint mat and those were hard to find. Again, they, they were, there's no eBay back then. Like she had to track this down somewhere. Mint, 84 dollars, Don Mattingly, which I still have today. That is the, the irony is crazy in this story because you know how big of a Don Mattingly fan I am. So there's, there's two of my favorite Christmas gifts. One was literally the same exact card because Don Mattingly was, Don, Don Mattingly was it for me for baseball for a really long time. And even to the point where I used to like the Yankees and then once Mattingly retired and then the Yankees won the World Series the following year, I was like, I will never root for the Yankees again. You couldn't get one World Series for my man, Donnie Baseball, but you win it the year he's done. <laughs> Number two, and this one I think resonates even more now with what's going on. So for the younger generation that's tuning into this now, they're going to have a harder time understanding this. But you and everybody our age or older will completely understand this. When we grew up, and again, you being from a smaller town in, in Southern Illinois, me being from a smaller town in Northern Wisconsin, you didn't get your own baseball bat. You didn't get your own baseball bat. Your team had a bag of bats and those bats had been used for probably five to 10 years already. So most of my childhood growing up, you played with a bat that was typically too big for you. You played with the old original you know, silver and green Easton. Green Easton, baby. And that was the bat that they had. That's, that's the bat that had been used for the last four years and it just gets passed down to your team. You didn't have your own bat. Like, when I grew up, nobody had their own bat. Y'all don't even, there was not a sporting goods store around here you could even get a bat. And I remember the first, my, the first bat I actually physically got that was my bat. And ironically, again, because what I'm telling you, there was no sports stores around here. They sold, and I got, a, I got an Easton bat out of a grocery store. And I remember because I'd never seen these bats before, and I went to the grocery store with my parents one day. And then when it came under the tree, I was like, I know where you got that bat. But it was, it was such a huge thing when none of my friends really had their own bats because we all shared bats, and they were expensive, and nobody like, oh, well, you're just going to break it, and your friends are going to use it. Then I remember that Christmas and being like, man, like my parents got me my own bat. They must really like the fact that I love baseball or care about me so much that they're going to do something that I've never had before. It meant a lot to get a bat. Because, and the reason I say it's funny now is like kids, kids walk in our facility, they have four bats. Like everybody's got four bats. They got two wood bats, two metal bats. I got, like, I got a bat for this tournament, but if you go to this tournament, I need this one. And I got a wood one because I practice with this, but I got this one because this one's my like shiny new toy bat. And I don't think they realize like 
when we were growing up, you can't, you couldn't go online and order bats. You couldn't get that kind of stuff. Just like you couldn't track, you couldn't go on eBay and just get the card you wanted. Like either you had to know somebody that had that card or you'd have to go to every card store within a hundred miles to see if they had one of those cards that somebody else already didn't buy. And so like getting a bat was a huge thing. Now I got one more question for you. Christmas wish list. And I'm going to start this one Christmas wish list a different way. My Christmas wish list. If you said, what can I put under my tree for baseball this year? And I'm not going to mention names simply because there's too many people for me to mention. My Christmas wish list is to get to spend more time talking baseball with the people that have influenced my baseball life. There are so many people out there that I'm so thankful for, for the way that they've impacted my baseball life by making me think just by sometimes their passion, enthusiasm for the game. There's so many people on that list outside of even just like my parents who gave me my passion for the sport in the first place, kind of like your mom and dad did as well. But like my wish list is to be able to spend more time being able to do that with them. And the irony here is even though I will do phone calls and I'll do zoom, whatever, I still grew up in the generation of face to face. Yeah. So doing something remotely to me still will never be the same as sitting down and even if it's just having a beer with somebody and talking the game and having, having, Hey, let's go, let's go to a steakhouse and let's just have a steak and let's just talk. Let's just talk baseball. Like that is what I have on my top of my Christmas wish list. I was thinking about that. What do you, what do you got in yours? Yeah, no, the same thing. I'm just gonna, I'll tell a, a little story on that and it won't necessarily be a wish, but the, the same idea, Travis, is those, we have said time and time again, we've learned or talked more baseball in that restaurant or bar setting. Um, and I was thinking back to this time of year last year, I, I had a conversation with Andy Haynes on the phone yesterday, the Brewers hitting coach and longtime friends and hitting colleagues. And you remember everybody on this call, including you, Schaefer, being in Nashville probably this time last year, and we're at Jimmy Kelly's Steakhouse, which every, every time we go to Nashville, I, I take you there, Travis, because I know it's your favorite restaurant. And we listened to Andy hold court for about an hour of storytelling of his time on managing Yelich in the minor leagues, uh, Stanton, Jose Fernandez, and you could hear a pin drop at that table. And everybody was just like mesmerized at, at these stories. And Andy's a good storyteller anyway, but we, you can't get that over Zoom, you know, and those, those personal interactions, and we've had a number of them and, and why that last episode about being able to go to the ABCA or the winter meetings, we miss that. And it's going to, in, in fact, set us back a little bit because we're not going to get that opportunity to, to learn from others and just do that. Just the personal connection of being able to talk the game. It's, it's awesome. Well said, Travis. Well, that's going to wrap up our holiday episode. Happy holidays from Elite Baseball Training, Elite Baseball Talk. You can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on the YouTubes. And one last Christmas wish, Travis. I hope you get uh, internet for dummies under your tree. And uh, in 2021, we will be all good at sending emails and downloading Excel and getting a, getting you a new smartphone. 
Hope, Can't hope I just hire somebody to do that for me? <laughs> I'm just going to hey, hire somebody to do that for me. All right, we'll sign off from there. See you next time.